think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. Yes, we are back in making you think and warning. I don't know how many brain cells I'm going to have today because it's Vacation Bible School week. So on top of the other stuff that I'm doing during the week, now I'm teaching children five times this week. What could possibly go wrong with my brain, right? Either way, you can tell by the music, it is time to get you thinking about your worldview and how you approach life based upon Scripture. That means I've come to you today to tell you that God is still king, even if you think you are. <laughs> We are in 1 Kings. We are picking up where we left off after 2 Samuel. Now, warning, we are going to divide 1 Kings up into two little segments because it is necessary. So we have the Solomon segment, and then I guess you call it the non-Solomon segment, which is everybody that comes after him. So, <coughs> excuse me, when last we left David, it was not at a high point. I got news for you. It doesn't get any better. Now, King David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. So his servants said to him, Let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse, and let her lie in your bosom that my lord the king may keep warm. <sighs> Get so old that you're literally not even holding body heat anymore, and since we don't have, you know, saunas best thing to do is get a pretty young thing to lay down next to you, and that'll keep you from freezing to death. Now, <laughs> I am not going to even attempt to parse the morality here or there. I mean, at this point, David has spent however many years chasing after every other hot chick, so why should now be any different? The thing that I will point out is, is this the mighty king of Israel? And the answer is no and yes. No, the mighty king of Israel is God. Yes, the mighty king of Israel appointed by him has been David. But always remember it is God who is our creator and sustainer, not men, not government, not military. Which means even the mighty and the mighty, mighty men of David all end up the same way. This is one of the reasons why aging is a blessing for the people of God and a blessing for the non-people of God because it is a reminder that, hey, you'd best be thinking about something other than you on a regular basis or else. So they find this lovely young lady named Abishag, the Shunammite, and this becomes her job. She's beautiful, she's the king's nurse, but she does not cohabit with him. I like how the NASB tries to handle that. So he does not know her is the literal translation. That becomes important now. Trying to preserve some of the dignity here of David's final days as well as the dignity of Abishag. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. So this is one of David's kids, one of the remaining kids after, you know, Absalom and Amnon and all that stuff. So he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen with 50 men to run before him. And his father had never crossed him at any time by asking, why have you done so? Because David is old and advanced in years and doesn't care anymore. <laughs> and he was also a very handsome man. And he was born after Absalom. See that? I'm glad that they include Absalom here because... This is kind of the uh, the sequel here to Absalom, is he's 
acquiring the king, the accoutrements of royalty without actually being appointed. So he's setting himself up, figuring that if dad is this cold and old, then the the really uh, part, the really good part of assuming room temperature can't be far off. So he's starting to establish himself. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and following Adonijah, they helped him. But Zadok, the priest, Beniah, the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. So you get Nathan and Bathsheba, who is the mother of Solomon. Remember Bathsheba. She used to be the wife of Uriah. Now she's the wife of David. And she's been replaced, apparently, by Abishag as the new hot thing in the, in the, in the palace. So... They would rather not Adonijah become king. They would rather Solomon become king. So they go through this whole rigmarole and basically try and get David to make Solomon king. And David agrees because this is what Bathsheba wants. This is what Nathan wants. So David goes along because I'm not really sure David has a dog in this fight or cares either way. So anyway, long story short, too late, right? Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Carathites, and the Pelanthites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. Zadok the priest then took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. They blew the trumpet and all the people said, long live King Solomon. Now if you're Adonijah, this is a problem because we have just crowned a king and you know what you aren't? You aren't him, so it's time to be afraid. So Adonijah runs because in this world, typically when somebody becomes king and one of the other kids doesn't become king, that doesn't end well. So he hides, and he's running from Solomon, and he took the horns of the altar. That's not a good plan to be. It was, it was told Solomon, saying, Behold, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for behold, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put, this, put his servant to death with the sword. Solomon says, if he's a worthy man, not one of his hairs will fall to the ground. But if wickedness is found in him, he'll die. See, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm more than okay with that. Because again, if you're Solomon, who made you king? Well, God did. God's upheld you. So who do you fear? I don't fear men. I should fear God. Adonijah shouldn't be fearing Solomon either. If he's done nothing wrong, then the upright son of David should be also in a position to do nothing wrong. So, you get to chapter 2, David charges Solomon to take care of all of his loose ends, the things that he couldn't do. He encourages him to follow the law of Moses, to avenge basically everybody that Joab has killed by taking care of Joab, take care of Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, um, who cursed David when he was fleeing from Absalom. So David dies. And I love the heading for the next section. Adonijah is executed. What? Bathsheba went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, and the king arose to meet her, bowed down before her, and sat on his throne, and he had a throne brought in for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. And she said, I am making one small request of you, do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask my mother, for I will not refuse you. Never say that. Somebody always asks, hey, can I, can I get you to do me a favor? Maybe is always the answer. So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. Hold up. See, that would be a problem, because... Even though 1 Kings 1 went out of its way to tell you that Abishag did not sleep with David and that was not her job, what do you think everybody thought? Yeah, exactly. The same thing you think. So by you getting her as a wife is kind of a claim to the, ah, how should we say this, to mark the same territory that David has marked to make you equal with David. This is a usurpation. Solomon 
answered and said to his mother, Why are you asking for Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him also the kingdom, for he is my older brother, even for him, for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. In other words, Solomon sees us for what it is. It's a power play. It's a way to gain standing with the people. He can't get some Bathsheba. He can't get one of the other wives. He can't get Abigail. He can't do that, but he, he can get Abishag as, a, as an appropriate wife and show that he is the rightful heir. He's already got Joab, and he's already got a priest. He's already got all of this stuff, so this would just be the next thing. Therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he has promised, surely Adonijah shall be put to death today. So Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, I'm sorry, Benaiah. Yeah, Benaiah. I said it right the first time. Son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him so that he died. Then to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own field, for you deserve to die, but I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted in everything with which my father was afflicted. So Solomon dismissed Abiathar from being priest of the Lord to the Lord in order to fulfill the word of the Lord which he had spoken concerning the house of Eli in Shiloh. In other words, even if Abiathar hasn't done anything wrong, he's the wrong guy. He's the wrong family line. We made mention of this as we ran through because he, Abiathar survives the slaughter at Nob. He's the wrong priest, though, so that is handled. Joab is executed. Shimei is executed. Solomon becomes king, has a lovely prayer from God for God. You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you. And you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? This is good from Solomon. This is a good start. He wants wisdom. God grants him this wisdom. Solomon then judges this, judges wisely and demonstrates this wisdom. He is the king for God's own people. This is excellent. Um, there is one issue, though, that we kind of glossed over. Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. That was a problem. This isn't, you, this isn't how you're supposed to consolidate your rule. This isn't how you're supposed to set yourself up. You're supposed to do this wisely. I point that out. Because in the same chapter, we have Solomon doing well, and we have Solomon doing poorly. And yet we have the blessing of God. The standard for being in God's presence is perfection. It is righteous holiness, pure glorification. And yet, we don't have it. From where will we get this? Welcome to the provisioning work of God. Welcome to his accomplishing, one of our foundations, his accomplishing of all that he has promised, all the good that he has ordained to give. Therefore, we stand not because we are perfect, but because he is perfect. We succeed not because we are good, but because he is good. And in Solomon, you get a good example of this. When understanding his place in the kingdom, understanding the benefit of God, the 
mercy and the greatness of the fulfillments of God, he goes, hey, I need some wisdom to accomplish the work you have sent me to do. When not thinking like that and thinking he needs to make some treaties, he marries the daughter, which is, again, the wrong thing. Why is that the wrong thing? Because it is a trusting in the geopolitical establishments of the world and not, and not the God who presented him, the God who installed him. So, Chapter 4, we get the uh, list of advisors, how awesome Solomon is. Chapter 5, we get the alliance, and we get the building of the temple and all that that entails. We get the building of Solomon's palace and all that it entails. Never forget that the palace was bigger than the temple. Just never, never forget that part. I'm not making a moral judgment on it. I'm just pointing that out. That when push came to shove, Solomon built himself a really good house. You get the ark brought into the temple because God has chosen his city as he promised Moses that he would do. It is Jerusalem. He has built a house as he, has, as he told Moses he would do. So we are now firmly established in Israel. This is what was always supposed to be. <coughs> if you're Israel, this is the high point. Because of the work of God's chosen king, David, the great ruler, the man of war who could accomplish, Israel is now at peace. They now also see this wise king of wisdom who can then demonstrate another aspect of God's attributes. I'd like to point out, neither of these men were perfect and good. Not by heavenly standard. By earthly standards, they're probably better than average. But by, by, by earthly standards, they're better than average. By heavenly standards, not so much. But again, Faithful, loving, trusting in God. Therefore, they are his people. So you get the warnings from God in chapter 9 that the kingdom will be kept if God is followed. This is your, um, it's repeated in Second Chronicles there. That if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and return to me, then I will hear their land. Christian, just always remember that that's for Israel, not you. You don't have a land. Not in the way that Israel had a land. What I mean by that is you may be standing on the ground. You may own that ground. But that is not your Christian ground. Your Christian ground is reserved for you in heaven, Colossians 3. Your Christian ground is reserved for you in God's kingdom, not in this world. Never, ever forget that. You see the Queen of Sheba showing up, which is cool because you see the recognition by the nations that God has done this, that God has accomplished, and you see the blessings that that brings. So in other words, everything that God has told the Israelites would happen and that he would do, he has done. He has been faithful to his side of these things. He has made them a nation. He has made them exalted amongst the nations. He has blessed them in such a way that the nations can see now, King Solomon, chapter 11, loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. Solomon held fast to these in love. He had seven Hundred wives, princesses, and three hundred concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. This was always the reason for the warning. Was that you can't love these women and walk faithfully with God because you will do things for them and with them 
that will cause you to walk astray from God. Therefore, as Joshua said, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. In the end, don't ask me what was that with my voice. And the answer is, typically, that honey over there. That's always the answer for men, usually. I wish it wasn't the case, but it is what it is. Now, I point that out in following up what God has done, because in God's perfection, accomplishing all that he has promised, you see the, most, the people who most benefit from that turn away. Once again, though, God is faithful. Earlier to preserve for salvation, but also to preserve for judgment. Then the Lord raised, raised up an adversary to Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal line of Edom. For it came about when David was in Edom that Joab and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain and had struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel stayed there six months until he had cut off every male in Edom. That Hadad fled to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of his father's uh, servants with him, while Hadad was a young boy. So in other words, you now get problems. God also raised up another adversary to him, Rezon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord Hadadezer, the king of Zobah. He gathered men to himself and became a leader of marauding band after David slew them of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and stayed there and reigned in Damascus. So in other words, David, the man of war, conquering, doing what God has commanded, securing the people of Israel, can't do it perfectly in a fallen world. God could. But Solomon wasn't faithful. Solomon couldn't lead with all of these good gifts. Solomon could not lead the people to where they needed to be and where they needed to go. Therefore, they go astray. And God takes advantage. Well, God doesn't take advantage, but God uses this to raise up enemies in the natural course of his providential ruling. The people he has preserved for just such an occasion and he will use them to then accomplish his judgment. So Solomon dies, Rehoboam, his son, takes over. Rehoboam is what we affectionately refer to as a nitwit. So the people come and ask him for relief because Solomon, in order to build his temple and to build his palace and to build all the things that he has done, he needed to conscript and he needed to tax. And people are like, you know, your dad taxed us a lot. We'd appreciate it if you would um if you would maybe lower those a little bit now that all these great projects are done so that we can, you know, like not starve to death and die here. That that that'd be awesome. Thank you. And when Rehoboam went to his advisors, the old men went, you know, they're they're right. We have taxed them really hard and it'd probably be a good idea to to throw him a bone here and, and, and to not do this lest some bad things happen. And then when Rehoboam asked all his young buddies who grew up in lavish luxury, they're like, oh, forget those people, man. You think my dad was tough? Huh, huh, just wait, wait till you get a load of me. And the people were like, yeah, bite me. We're out of here. So they're at, and we now get the split. So we get Rehoboam ruling in Judah, and we get Jeroboam ruling in Israel. And from here on in, things get really complicated. And I'm not going to try to discomplicate them for you. I'm not even going to try and make sense of all of it and give you a flow chart. You can figure out who's the Jehoram here and the Jeroam there and the Jeroboam and the Jehu. and all. You can do all of that work yourself. You're, you're smart people. I'm pointing out that this is the example that we get from Israel when God has done the very, very, very best. And we're sitting here going, you got to be kidding me. I mean, I've got nothing but good stuff from God. And this is what we do with it. 
The answer is yeah, because humanity is sinful. And even Israel, this was never even about Rehoboam, because Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there, and he went out from there and built Penuel. Jeroboam said in his heart, now the kingdom will return to the house of David. And if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So we picked this Jeroboam guy, but again, he's not the right king. So just like Saul, king for judgment. So the king consulted and made two golden calves and said to them, Is it too much for you to go up to Jerusalem and behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt? Because as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. So we get idolatry. We get false worship. We get every form of corruption and degradation that can be imagined, all because... We can't take yes for an answer and celebrate the good things of God. Christian, this is, this is a good warning for us because if we fail to recognize in this world who God is, what he is doing, and what we're supposed to do as a result of that, we're going to be in the exact same place that Israel is here. We're going to be in the exact same place that Judah is here. And I'm looking at my clock, so we will finish uh, First Kings next week because I went too long, and that's just is what it is. But if we're not careful, we will, we will follow along with the world. Because look, <clears throat> if you're Solomon, you're probably sitting there saying, you know, David, my father, was a man of war and did all of these things and secured the kingdom by God's blessing. And that's awesome. But I, by God's blessing, have been granted the wisdom to not have to do these wars and to not have to engage in this bloodshed. All I've got to do is marry this girl. And, and for crying out loud, we're done. We're at peace. No more war. No more fighting. I can secure all of these alliances doing all of these marriages, never once in all of his infinite wisdom thinking, this is not what my marriage is supposed to be. This is not how my kingdom is supposed to be secured. This is not how my people are supposed to be ruled. He's thinking of good things. He's trying to accomplish good ends, but he's trying to do them the wrong way. Therefore, no good will come from this. No good can come from this because we are in the wrong place. And once you start drifting down that road, what ends up happening is it's a dirt road. And so as you're just kind of sliding along and traveling about, you look back, but it's a flat road. And the wind is blowing and the rains are falling and, and your, your tracks are covered. And so you find yourself out in the middle of nowhere one day and then you look up and go, I don't even know how we got here. We were just kind of taking these turns and we took a left and we took a right. And, and I don't know how to get back. And that's what happened to Solomon. And that's how you end up with a thousand women. Concubines, wives, security. Everything's good and it's awesome. But I also fell into the same trap everybody else has fallen into because they didn't teach my kid. And I didn't disciple him on how to be wise, even though I'm wise. And I didn't do like David and give him the instruction that he needs to continue this. I walked away and I cared more about these women and their worship. And I cared more about myself and my brilliance. And, and none of it 
is going to work. And if you're Israel, you're like, you know what, for a good thing, look, we don't want to be taxed to death, and we don't want to work ourselves to death for your kingdom. This is, a, this is a good thing for you to give us. The elders agreed. But then you went and did what? You went and found Jeroboam, and you went just because he has some cool story about a shriveled hand. Go have some fun and read that. Just because he's got some neat healing in his history. He might be the right guy, but he's not, because our hope isn't supposed to be in men. It's not supposed to be in Jeroboam in his story. It's not supposed to be in Rehoboam in his wisdom. It wasn't supposed to be in Solomon. It was supposed to be in God. So the Israelites weren't supposed to rebel. They were supposed to trust and call out to God to redeem the king, to raise up the one that they need, because that's kind of the point. Saul wasn't the one that they needed. He was the one they wanted. David wasn't the one that they needed. Solomon isn't the one that they needed. Rehoboam isn't the one that they needed. Jeroboam isn't the one that they needed. Christ is the one that they need. He's the one that they're supposed to be longing to because he is God and he is ruler. Again, God is the creator. He is the one who preserves us. He is the one who saves us. He is the one who has been faithful and will be faithful. He is the one who accomplishes all of these things. He is the one who looks down through history and does not fail. He is the one who will sanctify us, who will strengthen us, and will bring us to the day of completion. That lesson is seen not in the good example of Israel, but in the bad example of Israel, as they do everything possible to not do that thing. So, as I said, went a little too long in the beginning, but it was worthwhile. So, what have we learned here today, children? God is always in control. Regardless of who the king thinks he is, it is God who reigns and accomplishes. And this world moves along, but it's going to move along on God's schedule. So, questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. When we sit down next time, we will finish First Kings because there's, there's just way too much good stuff in here to ignore and try to shove in here in, limited, limited, in a limited amount of time. So we will pick up there and see more of our foundations. So, again, Christian, think these things through. Be leery of the world because the world is not your friend. In other words, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.